since the early 70s, he's provided provocative designs, broken barriers, and become one of only six men to lead GM Design. On this week's show, on the cusp of retirement, we talk to Ed Welburn. Underwriting for Autoline This Week has been provided by... Now, here's your host, John McElroy. Want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Very special show today. We're shooting it in the Design Dome at General Motors. And that's because my special guest for the day is one of the most influential designers in the modern era in the history of the automotive industry. And of course, I'm talking with Ed Welburn, the Vice President of Global Design at General Motors. So it's great to be here and welcome to the Design Dome. Oh, and and you've got this incredible array of historic cars behind A few of my friends are here as well, yeah. Ed, what amazes me so much is if you look at the history of General Motors design, it goes back to the late 1920s. Yes. And you are only the sixth person to ever hold that position. I had to look this up. We had 15 U.S. presidents in the same time that General Motors has only had six vice presidents of design. It's, it's got to be just so incredible to have the job that you do. Well, it is. And, I, you know, there's not a day that I take it for granted. I mean, particularly the drive into work, I'm thinking about it. The responsibility goes with it. The fun that goes with it. And then as I come through the gates, and I see the design building and the design dome, this building, it's like, wow, it's and cool. You didn't fall into this job. I mean, you had your eye on design from a very early age. Yeah, in fact, uh, I mean, I've been crazy about cars all my life, been drawing them since I was like two and a half. And the car is in the background, the Cadillac Cyclone. It was at the Philadelphia Auto Show when I was eight years old, and that did it for me. I told my parents, that's it. I want to be a car designer for that company and it was Cadillac. Now, the history is, you wrote a letter to the company saying just that. Exactly. Looking for advice of how to get the job. Well, you know, the thing is so funny. As a kid, I don't know if it's funny or not, but I was a slow reader, and my mother didn't care what I was reading as long as I was reading. And I was reading, so I was reading car magazines. I'd read from cover to cover, and through those magazines, I found out where those cool cars like the Cyclone came from. And so I wrote a letter to GM Design, it's styling at the time. I was 11 years old, and I just wanted information about careers in design, and they, they sent me a wealth of information. So you followed their advice? I just followed their lead. You, you yeah. got a, a degree? Uh, yeah, I, I, I stayed in communication with them. I think I was 16 the next time I wrote them a letter, and, and through college, uh, I was in the School of Fine Arts uh, and Design program at, at Howard, Howard Univ- University, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, I did a summer internship at the end of my junior year with GM. I sent in two applications. I said one is a designer and a second application as a sculptor. I was getting into that program one way or another. I got in as a sculptor, and during the course of that summer, I did as much sketching as I did clay modeling. And at the end of that summer, they said they wanted me to complete my senior year at Howard. They wanted to hire me as a designer. And your dream came true. Dream came true. All of a sudden, I was in the big leagues with, I mean, these designers were incredible. So 
walk us through that a little bit. Uh, you didn't stay at any one place. You they moved you around in different places within yeah, it, GM design. It was their practice, and it still is today. That in your first year, you're in a rotation. You experience a number of different studio environments, so they can kind of gauge where you're best suited or or what makes you feel comfortable, where you're the most productive. So I worked in four studios, an advanced Chevrolet design studio, um, the Pontiac production studio, where I designed, did my first production design work, a tail lamp for the Pontiac Granville. <laughs> Everyone's and, gotta start someplace. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> in the tail lamp. And, uh, and I worked at Advanced Buick, and that's where I worked on some special Rivieres for Bill Mitchell. And, and that's where it really clicked in that studio. And I was assigned permanently to the uh, Buick studio to work on Rivieres. Rivieres, pretty good car to be able to work on. Yeah, it was great. I mean, to do a car that expressive, you know, it's sporty, yet it's luxurious, it had a lot of flair. And uh, I kind of grew up around Rivieres. My father had one, so it just felt right for me. Now, you talk a lot about Buick, but I think the first time I became aware of you as a journalist covering this yeah. business was with uh, the Oldsmobile Aerotech, yes. which must have been in the late 80s, late mid 80s. 80s. Yeah, that, that was, you know, and I always credit that project as being a real turning point in my career because not only was I sketching, creating the shape, you know, I, I created the shape for that vehicle, but I was also managing the project from a design perspective. So not just designing, but managing as well. And, and it's through that project that I learned the value of collaboration between designers and engineers and marketing and planning and you know, communications as well. So, so the audience knows the Aerotech was this one-off kind of race car. Well, it was a race car, right? Never raced. But it was out to set a world speed record, if yes, I recall yeah. right, because Oldsmobile had come out with its quad four, yes. four-cylinder engine yes. and wanted to show, hey, four-cylinder engines have plenty of power. This particular one had 1,000 horsepower. <laughs> it's a, it a two-liter four-cylinder. I mean, the engine was, I mean, that's kind of a grenade. I mean, for something that small to have that kind of power. But can you imagine, there I am, a designer who loved the kind of cars that ran at Le Mans. So... I may have been designing Cutlass Supremes and that type of thing for Oldsmobile, but off to the side I always had sketches of what I envisioned as a car for Le Mans. And so one day I was asked by my supervisor, you know, if I wanted to be involved in this special project. The chassis is from an Indianapolis race car. It has 1,000 horsepower and the driver is the legendary A.J. Foyt. Are you interested? And of course, you jumped at it, I but a bit at, of a risk too, right? Sidetracking your production-related well, career for a one-off well, well, project. The, the thing was, it didn't sidetrack. I did both. I mean, I my very first sketch of Aerotech ended up being the sketch they went with. I had other ideas, but they went with the first one. Uh, by day, I was designing Cutlass Supremes, and in the evenings, I was working on Aerotech. We did all our wind tunnel testing in our tunnel on second shift. Uh, so yeah, it was, yeah, two shift kind of operation. And the car went off to set some unbelievable yeah. speed record. Yeah, it, it, what was so interesting, prior to that vehicle, the record had been traded, Foyt had it for a while with one of his Indy cars, and then uh, Porsche broke the record with a 917, and then Mercedes did a high speed research car, this, 
that broke that record, and then we broke the record that Mercedes had. And we still hold that record wow. today. Yeah. Wow. People have to look it up, but it's what, over 240 uh, yeah, miles 256, 57 miles an hour. Yeah. And, and then we followed that up with a high speed, uh, an endurance version of it with an Aurora engine that ran for eight days straight. <laughs> 24 hours a day. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> Eight 24-hour races. And, and we set uh, another 58 records for that car. Unbelievable. That's a great project. No kidding. Yeah. So that's very interesting. You're saying that gave you your first really managerial yes. experience yes. in design. Yeah, yeah. Managing, and I learned the value of collaboration and what great results you can get when you have a cross-functional team working together with a common vision. And it's a message that stayed with me and has been a very much a part, I think, of the foundation of my beliefs in design. And I'm seeing that throughout General Motors today, much more collaboration. You yes. know, design used to be its own silo, engineering its own, manufacturing yeah. its own, and they yeah. all fought each other. Yes, and, and the car was the victim. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, the car suffered because of it. Um, today, that collaboration is it's everything. So everything and having a clear vision for that project up front just has great benefit. You talked earlier about how you were moved all through design, that that's what they did when you came in yes. your first year. Yeah. Are you yeah. continuing that practice? Yeah, we continue to do that. Uh, it's important. I, number one, designers, when they're hired by GM or any of the other companies, those young designers are so well prepared you know, that the schools are doing a fantastic job. You can put them on pretty significant projects day one, both interior design and exterior design. And, but we like to move them around a bit. With our company, we're able to not only move them around this facility here in Warren, um, but we have a network of 10 studios around the world. So they have that opportunity to work in one of them. Yeah, I looked it up. It's, uh, I think, 10 studios in seven countries. Yes. I think I've got yes. that right. Yeah. You know, somebody from the outside would say, what do you need so many studios for? Well, you know, each one has its area of expertise. You know, we have advanced design work uh, in California, North Hollywood, a very private studio there, very cool studio. Here in Michigan, we have kind of the hub for the whole global network is here, as well as an advanced studio in another building here at the Tech Center. And then the studio in Europe focuses really on the Opel brand and the one in, um, which is in Germany. And then the one in India is focused, a lot of our IT, a lot of our data uh, processing, that work happens there. It's a great team. Plus there are listening posts into that market. They know that market better than anyone else, mm -hmm. which is, is great. And then we have a number of studios in China and Australia, great, very creative force there. And, in Korea and Brazil. It's amazing because, you know, we know that General Motors shut down a number of brands, a number that yeah. you worked on, yeah, Saturn, yeah, exactly. you know, Pontiac, know. Hummer, <laughs> and Oldsmobile, of course, being gone. And yet, uh, when you look today, GM still has about 10 brands yeah, globally. Yeah, when you look at, you know, the brands who are in North America, Cadillac, Buick, GMC, Chevrolet, Chevrolet's really a global brand, and Opel and Vauxhall and Holden, and Wuling and Baojun and FAW, you know, and, and these are significant brands in particular. Wuling and Baojun are mm -hmm. huge brands. You've got a huge staff. I think it's yeah. 2,500 people in GM design globally. Yeah, you know, or, and, and, and when you include a lot of people working in the shops, it's close to 3,000, yeah. 
How do you manage that kind of a facility? Because, yeah. you know, designers are, they're the artists of the industry, yeah. and yeah. artists tend to go off in their own direction. Is it herding cats, or, it's, or you do know, you try to encourage them? You know, that what's too? interesting, I mean, um, a couple years ago, our chairman asked me, what is my greatest challenge? And I think it's managing 3,000 creative people in a major corporation because, you know, discipline and deadlines and budgets and all that aren't what you necessarily think of when you think of artists, but uh, it's a great creative group. Frankly, I don't know the heads of design at the other companies, but it's important to me to know my own people. We have incredible technologies that allows me to commute, communicate with all of those studios all over the world at any time. You know, virtual tools are just spectacular. But if you don't know the people, those tools are pretty useless. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. You've uh, had a lot of fun in this job. I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. you're at the pinnacle of your career in one of the most important jobs in the industry for what you do. You got to be in a movie, though. Bring the audience up to speed a little bit about that. You it were was, in the Transformers It was right here movie. in this room. You know, it's, well, I've worked with Michael Bay on all of the Transformer movies. Director of the movie. Uh, the director of the movie, yeah, and from the very first one. And the idea of putting the Camaro in, in that movie, you know, he was looking for something special. I didn't want to show him the car because we were developing the concept car in secret. I wouldn't show it to him until he told me about the movie. He wouldn't tell me about the movie until he saw the car. I admit I gave in. I showed him the car. He told me all about it. And ever since then, with each one of those movies, we've worked together. He comes and visits me. We walk to studios looking for a vehicle, a character to go in the movie. So for the fourth one, he wanted to give me a little cameo role in there. And, and it was kind of fun. And it was... Uh, you got to be the head of the CIA. I got, I got to yell at... Mark Wahlberg is what I got to do, you know. And, you know, it was funny, first couple of takes, you know, I, I'm not, I don't yell at people. I really don't do that. And, and you know, he wanted me to yell at, at him, and I, and I just couldn't do it. And he said, well, if you had a problem in the studios, what do you do? I said, well, we'd have to talk about it in my office. Said, oh, now I want you to yell. So by the third take, I was yelling, and then he liked the way I yelled, so he added more words to it. So I hit, we ended up doing about eight takes. Did you have to get your Actors Guild card for that? Well, you know, they wanted me to, and I, and I considered all of that. But, you know, I'm not an actor. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would, you know, that's... be kind of cool be, to have in your wallet. It would be, it'd be cool to have, <laughs> but, you know, these are people who have had careers. They've studied the art. And it's, like, it's just like letting just anyone design a car. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not going to let that not happen. Not going to let that happen, no. They also converted your office, yes. which is a historic office. So yeah, tell the audience yeah. a little bit about it, because actually this whole site is quite historic. Yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, the whole campus was designed by Saarinen, working very close with Hardy Earl. Saarinen, of course, being a very famous Finnish architect. A, a, incredible architect. And, you know, to this day, the buildings really serve us well. You know, I have an awful lot of respect for him. I've lived in his buildings for, you know, 44 years. Mm -hmm. But um, that office is even more special than the rest of the campus. And um, every time I walk into it, it just feels like something really special. Same desk, same furniture that Harley Earl had and Bill Mitchell and Wayne Cherry and Chuck Jordan and Irv Rubicki. Yeah. What's amazing is, of course, that office is over half a century old right now, yes. but doesn't look dated. No, it doesn't. In fact, 
I mean, that form of design is very hot right now. Yeah, I mean, mid-century design, and this is kind of the, the best of it. In fact, uh, almost every year, I think just about every year, there's a whole group of people who follow mid-century architecture and furniture design and Saren, and they come for a visit. That's got to be something else. And, and so cool an office, of course, they decided to put it in the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, it had a role. We, we filmed in a number of areas. We, they did. Yeah. Filmed in a number of areas. My office, around the campus, right here in this room. In fact, we had to replace the floor here in the dome after an incredible burnout that they did with the Camaro. I mean, they just melted the rubber into the, into the floor. You couldn't even chisel it off. It was... <laughs> so this room has played uh, more roles than you would have yeah, ever thought yeah, of. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Ed, it, it's got to be quite a, a statement, too, to be the first African-American ever, first black person, let's just yeah. put it that way, to look on a global basis, ever appointed the head of design. It's, yeah. That's got to be an honor for you as well. It is, you know, I, there are times, you know, I don't really dwell on it. And when, when I was, it was, when it was my goal to become a car designer, I never thought of the fact I might have been the first. It wasn't until I got here and got going that I, I realized that. And I, and I also realized in many ways, right or wrong, that I was representing more than myself. Because there are so many people who would look at me and, you know, I really was representing you know, a whole group of people that's representing African-Americans. And I think it, at every step in my career, you know, it hasn't, not, hasn't been the plan, but I was, you know, the first chief designer, the first executive director, and now the first, you know, head of design for a major car company. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, have there been challenges? Eh, some, but it has, it, it has been rewarding, yeah. It has been. As you say, it, it's a team effort. Nonetheless, yeah. you were even singled out earlier this year with being having a wing of the Detroit Institute of Arts named after yeah, you. Can you believe that? I, it, that? To me, that is so cool. Yeah, I mean, I, because I, that's historic. That, 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 that wing with your name on it is going to be around yeah, long after yeah, you're gone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and it's, that was, I mean, such a shock to me. And then in the midst of that shock, and I turned around and I remembered, you know, my instructor, Lois Jones, one of my most significant instructors at Howard University, her work is on display in that wing. Wow. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just like, wow. It's come full circle. It's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, uh, just so those of the audience who are not familiar with it, the DIA, one of the preeminent yeah. art museums yeah. in the world, really, certainly in it's the United States. It's an amazing place. Yeah. And, and Everyone course, needs to spend time there. They, Multiple they, times. There's a lot of visits, great artwork yeah. there. And, of course, as you know, uh, many automotive people played a role in getting that going, but it was the Ford family, Edsel Ford, the, you yeah, know, the first yeah, Edsel Ford yeah. that played a big So a little bit of an irony that uh, the yeah, Ford played a big role I'll in it, and here's I'll a GM I'll executive. Take that. I'll take <laughs> <laughs> what did you think would be what would you like people to look back on and say boy when ed was here this was his legacy i think yeah what what i'd like for that to be and maybe what people think of i don't know if it's one and the same maybe it is but i think creating this global organization you think about it my predecessor you know i'm only the sixth 
my predecessors were the head of GM Design for North America. And they had some influence globally. But the other studios that are around the world really ran independent of the one here. And two years into the period that I led design, the decision was made to make it one global design team. It's something that I had, I had planned, carefully planned prior to getting it. Uh, but when it came into place, and it really didn't take long for it to become one global team, I really think that's probably the most significant thing. And in the past couple years, this global team has really gone to a whole nother level of sharing of ideas, and it's just so powerful. That is very powerful. I, I believe that beyond that global design team, that collaboration that we have with engineering in particular is something that is very important because that, that did not exist at the same level. Or it existed sporadically, you know, and there are certain pockets that had, had this great collaboration, but not universally. So I, I really think that that is. I, I think you hit on a key thing there, that the collaboration with uh, engineering, probably manufacturing too, yeah. because you can design something that's beautiful. If the engineers and the manufacturing yeah. people look at it and go, it's beautiful, but we can't make that, that right. was all for naught. Yeah, there are periods in the auto industry where design would do their thing and throw it over the wall to engineering in hopes that it would hit production properly. There were some great cars that came out, but some others that weren't as good and the quality wasn't necessarily there. And then the pendulum swung to engineering pretty much developing the whole vehicle and then giving it to design to make it look pretty. Well, that doesn't work either. Too so late. That collaboration that we have today is important. And, and when you have do that right, then it makes it a lot easier to make the car beautiful, make it a wonderful vehicle. Uh, when you have that collaboration, then you can get the proportions right. If you don't get the proportions right, forget about it. It's got to be uh, great for your career. You, you, you hit a sweet spot because, you know, when GM was headed into bankruptcy, it was so saddled with legacy costs that the, the investment in the product was really cut back. Everything was done on the cheap. Now, of course, I think there's an appreciation at the very top of General Motors that it's all about the product. That's yeah, what people are yeah, going to come in and yeah. buy or not. And yeah, you can do all your financial planning and all this other strategic sure, planning. Sure. But if people don't come in your store and buy the product, yeah. forget about yeah, they're, it. They're, and now we see GM's top management really focused on getting terrific product in yeah, the hands of consumers. Great product. And, and I, I got to tell you, just fairly recently, I was on a, a ride with engineers. We drove cars to northern Michigan and back. Every single one of those vehicles, I mean, from Spark to Cruise to Malibu to Camaro, all of them, you know, CT6, the quality, the ride, and the hand, it's just like a huge step from the previous generation of vehicle. And, you know, I'm not even talking about the styling of it. I'm just talking about the ride and the comfort mm -hmm. and the performance is spectacular. Okay, you're, you're coming to the end of your career. It's an awesome time in the industry, though. We're seeing so much exciting yeah, things happen. Yeah. Electric cars, fuel cell cars, yeah. uh, breakthroughs in aerodynamics, ride-sharing, autonomous vehicles. You kind of sorry that you're getting out of the business at this point? Uh, you know, my next chapter is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot that I have planned, 
and I've left plenty of space for other opportunities as well. But, uh, you know, I leave at a time, I feel so good about what we've done. I mean, I really feel good about it. I'm, uh, I'm in a very good place about every bit of that. Uh, I'm very happy with the team that's in place. I just kind of feel like, yeah, they got it handled. It's good. What do you think about autonomous cars, though? Don't you think this is going to change the nature of the vehicle? Well, it, it, you know, Especially the interior. Yeah, oh, interiors will change radically with the ultimate autonomous vehicles. I, you know, when I, I love to drive. I mean, I just love to drive. But there are those times when I just assume someone else do the driving for me, some of those commutes to work. The idea that that vehicle may in fact be the event and not just the transportation to the event. The fact that you and friends could, I mean, you could have meetings, you could have entertain, whatever, in that vehicle while you're going from point A to point B. It's pretty cool. It's got to be a, a, an amazing thing that's just right around the corner yeah. here. So and, I, and I love what it does even beyond all that entertainment and what it, the way it opens the world up for people with disabilities. It just, that is the most tremendous thing of all, of what it will do to, because the automobile, when it was first invented, it gave people freedom. And autonomous vehicles will give freedom to people with any number of disabilities. That's cool. Yeah, as I like to say, it will open up mobility to all segments of yes. society. Yes, yeah. All yes. segments. You, you, we're getting down to the very end here. You hinted there might be some more things. Anything that you, you care to mention? Well, a number of things. I, you know, I'll continue to work with GM. Uh, we're designing, we're doubling the size of this design center. Whole new wing, huge facility. And I've been working very close with the architect on that and will continue until that building is done. Uh, Mary Barr has asked me to consult on a couple other projects in the company. In addition, uh, I am working on a book, uh, which is kind of fun. Whether the book gets published or not, it's fun creating it. And then I've got some other, I think, kind of interesting consulting and design projects. It's going to be fun to watch what you do after this. Ed, Ed Welburn, thanks so much for taking the time today. Really interesting career that you've had here at General Motors. Thank you. Time went by awful fast. Underwriting for Autoline this week has been provided by...